This is a small city. Just north of the big city. Built on brickyards, factories, and small businesses. With a rich history and strong roots. And this is a podcast. That serves to tell our story. Share our experience. And celebrate our community. This. This. Is Beacon. Mark Unger is a professor of political science at Brooklyn College and the Graduate Center and of the CUNY Criminal Justice Doctoral Program. He has written and edited five books and over 40 articles and chapters on judicial reform, citizen security, and policing. He is an advisor to the United Nations, the Inter-American Development Bank, and the governments of Argentina, Bolivia, Honduras, and Mexico. In 2011, he was elected to the Inter-American Institute of Human Rights, the investigative body of the Inter-American legal system. And to our great benefit, Mark is also a Beacon resident and has been instrumental in the work done here locally by Beacon Now, formerly known as Beacon Speaks Out. All right. Welcome back to This is Beacon. This is Brandon. This is Brooke. This is Ruben. And we are here with another guest. Brooke? Yep. So today we have Mark Unger with us. Um, and Mark, we just heard a little bit about your background. Um, but first, just to kick things off, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and, and, and your history? Sure. Um, well, first, thank you for, for inviting me to the podcast. I think it's a great opportunity to talk about these issues in a deep way, in a diverse way. Um, my background is I've been working on police reform for about 30 years. Um, it actually, I started in Venezuela. I was living in the uh, barrios, sort of the shanty towns of Caracas. And I was actually just thinking about it because um, I was working with a human rights group working against police killings of people. Um, and Venezuela at the time, much like the United States now, uh, was the economy was in free fall. There's extraordinary amount of inequality. About This is a country with, that was one of the biggest oil producers in the world, and about 80% of the people lived in extreme poverty. The police were out of control. They were shooting people. There was no real judicial system. So we were trying to stop police killings. And then those uh, that happened, investigate that and try to hold the police accountable. Um, and I stayed in Venezuela to work on my dissertation, which is on judicial reform and police reform in Venezuela. Um, and since then, I've been working with the United Nations and with governments around the world on police reform, particularly in high crime areas and post-conflict areas. So I, wor I work a lot in Central America and Honduras. Uh, I work currently working in uh, Colombia, which is uh, emerging from a long civil war. Um, I've worked, you know, in a lot of uh, places of uh, discrimination. So um, among indigenous groups in the Amazon, I'm working currently with, and then uh, youth in Central America who are uh, disproportionately affected by high violence. So do you say there's a lot of similarities to what's going on, you know, internationally, but then also when we think about the, the nation, the United States as a, as, as a whole right now? Yeah, it's um, unfortunately, we really have to think about the uh, strength of our democracy and our criminal justice system. Um, and there's been some good movement in terms of uh, attention toward the higher rates of incarceration, uh, which reflects all sorts of problems in the criminal justice system, uh, racism and inequality, uh, poor legal defense, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and now in terms of policing and how it all fits together, um, you can't separate, you know, the penitentiary system, the criminal justice system, public defenders, um, you know, education, all, all comes together. It all fits together. And I think this moment in our history, um, I think people are really grappling with how it, how we can address all of them together. And so I think a lot of the, you know, the defund the police and, uh, Black Lives Matter and and to, all the groups that are demonstrating now, I think are are, are working toward big solutions. Um, but I think we have to think about also how can we make progress in that. Um, so so there's a lot of, of parallels, and it's also I think interesting because police reform usually happens at a moment of crisis when people have attention. So Brooke and I, you know, we when we did our police reform years several years ago in Beacon. There wasn't, I wouldn't say, a whole lot of interest. Yeah. You know, yep. we didn't get a huge upswell. Um, and now we are, but how do you do that in a moment when things are very divided? So the, the protest today showed very clearly, and, and we're all caught up in the moment as well. It's a very charged political moment, and it's hard to um, separate 
what's going on in Beacon versus how we all feel about the larger political situation in the country. And they're connected, uh, but we also have to think about how do we move forward within Beacon itself. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say too, is just the interconnectedness. I think that's what kind of like came up for me. Um, so when you do think about, you know, the voices that need to be at the table and the groups that need to be represented, you know, how broad are we talking, you know, from like a, you know, from a beacon standpoint, right? Um, I mean, I can draw on my, my work and my experience. And I would say there's a couple of things. First, I would start with the idea of community policing, which is talked about but not very defined. And really what community policing is, is citizens are at the center of policing in the sense of they help formulate policy, they evaluate police officers, whatever the citizens of a community think they need to do, they can do, and that's community policing. And so it's wide open, um, but it's a paradigm shift. And I think it's an important one in American history, um, just very briefly, you know, uh, most of the 20th century has very based on standardized policing cops in their cars, the two-way radio, the standard crime report, things became very technical. In 1960s, with the riots and the upheaval, it led to a community policing, which is basically like, let's return to the communities, let's have police walk around. And it's gone in fits and starts, really, for the past 50 years. And now we're seeing a resurgence of that. And I think it's important to understand how um, it used to be important in American history. It's part of our evolution over the past 50 years. And I think we have to recapture that moment, um, but in a way that um, is consistent in the sense that when you have a community policing program, it has to be evaluated. It has to be um, consistently applied in the sense that citizens have to be consistently engaged. So for example, a lot of the programs I worked on, um, when you have these meetings, right, the police and citizens get together. The first problem is people are afraid of the police. So like in Central America, where the youth are, you know, and, and people of color are the one who are uh, um, uh, attacked by the police, they wouldn't show up at these meetings. So one, so you've got a, you self-selected people who aren't afraid. So that doesn't really work because you're not reaching those communities. So first is if you have meetings and outreach, you have to make sure everyone is at the table. And that takes a lot of groundwork to build that trust, you know, saying we're not going to bring you a new meeting where you're not going to have a voice. So it takes a lot of work. Um, second, I think it's important to bring together all sectors. So um, San Pedro Sula, which is a city in Honduras, which has the highest crime rate in the world, it's higher than Afghanistan or Iraq, I mean, just out of control. One uh, community policing work is starting to work because they're bringing together all the sectors, the uh, health, public health, the schools, um, uh, obviously the police, and there's this fantastic youth group, Jóvenes Contra la Violencia, about these kids who are basically putting together anti-violence programs. And they all, for, they, they sit down together and they forge out problems and they find out all sorts of things like, you know, where is crime happening? Where are the police shooting? Um, uh, this is an area, a city dominated by the Maras. Everyone knows like uh, MS-13. Um, and so, you know, where are they? And, they're, and the fact that they collaborate with the police the police are highly corrupt. The police are collaborating with drug traffickers. So it's sort of the only way to work through these problems and get it out on the all out in the open in a space that's more or less secure. And that takes a lot of work. So even to start at that stage, a lot of preparation has to happen. And then um, what I try to do in my work is bring what's called an evaluation mechanism in which they constantly evaluate. So there's a program that goes into place. So an anti-violence program uh, for youth, right? Or a community program for women. Domestic, violence against women in a lot of countries is extremely high. So they set up a program, and unless they're constantly evaluating it, they, they tend to fail because there's budget cuts, people get, you know, there's political divisions, whatever it is, there's a million different ways that programs can collapse. And I would say, in places I worked in high crime areas or areas of post-conflict areas, 80% of community policing fails because there's not the political momentum or the citizen support for them to constantly evaluate it. And places like, um, maybe I'll talk about this later, I did a report for the United Nations. Um, they're saying what programs in the United States might be models for programs outside the United States. So I did this huge program study uh, all over the country and I, I talked about 150 programs, you know, California, the South, Chicago, 
And it's amazing. One of the many, many, many things that I found was this program out of Chicago where they get together. There's the citizens, the police, uh, elected officials, activists. They all and they all evaluate. Um, does this program identifying the problem? So sometimes they say, well, the problem is drugs, but or they say it's something else. Um, so they need to to specify: is the program actually addressing the problem? Uh, are all people at the table as part of the solution? Um, are, are we measuring what we need to measure? And I'm a big proponent of um, what is it that we need to measure? Is it uh, complaints? So, for example, um, not to jump ahead of myself, um, I'm part of this anti-gun trafficking uh, project in North America with Brady Campaign and Giffords, and we meet every week on Zoom. And last week... Um, this, uh, someone from Oakland, California Partnership for Safer Communities, talked about um, the rates of complaints against police have gone down. So that's, that was their measure. They had this program about uh, for youth in Oakland and people in Oakland in general. And one of the measures is, okay, complaints about the police. And that's a really good measure. And so things like that bring substance to a program in the sense that we can see the results and that creates a virtuous circle in which people say, okay, th we know this program works because people and complaints against the police and, and also people have access to complaints against the police. And so also, for example, understanding that sometimes complaints will go up after a program because people feel more confident in filing complaints. That yeah. too is a progress. So kind of disentangling all the different results to understand progress. It can be done. It's not impossible, but it needs, again, everyone has to be a stakeholder. Everyone has to be included. There has to be a constant vigilance and kind of a politically neutral space for them to do their work. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just want to make sure that I'm clear with what I'm, what I'm hearing because um, uh, I want to make sure we understand um, both sides of this argument. It, almost listening to you, to me, it sounds like it's not a matter if community policing works or it doesn't work. It's morely, it's more than just the police department's commitment to a community police and that there's other, um, there's other variables that are at play. It's, it's more of a, of a culture of a community, not just one department trying to make it happen. Um, when times were at its work at its worst in the sixties, you said this was kind of like the culture they took on to try and, um, change, the, the the environment. So with your expertise, I want to make sure that we keep things local. So I want to see if, yeah. if, if things can work in vegan. With your expertise, do you think community policing, with what you know, with the people that you see out there, the all the different variables who need to be at the table, is, is there commitment, is there passion that, that you think that community community policing, policing can work in vegan? And um, what would you say, or what is there something that, that, that we can educate people on when the first thing thrown out is, Oh, well, they tried this in other communities and it doesn't work in other communities. I know what I would say. Right. This is beacon, but I, 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 I want to hear. <laughs> Not to lead. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and, and, and I already got a little bit of background of, yeah, it's more than that. And, but is beacon a community that you see that could develop community policing if all the tools were in play and necessary? Absolutely. And that's, I'm glad you brought it back to beacon because I think it's a really good, we have a, a, a opportunity here to try something really good and really powerful. And I think we have so many advantages in Beacon in terms of as a diverse community, people are committed to this, to the city. It's a place of independent um, businesses, you know, small businesses. So, so people here are committed to the community and have roots in the community. So I think first it can work. One, we need to identify all the sectors to be involved. And I would say two things on that. One is, you know, and Terry Nelson talked about this in one of our calls, certain areas of Beacon don't call the police because they're afraid of the police. They don't want to engage with the police. That's a problem. So one is, where is it? And it's, it's interesting because I've lived here for 15 years and I don't know all the communities um, and I deliver for mutual aid Beacon. And, but still we, we can, we're all, we live in our own yeah. circles, especially yeah. now with the quarantine. So first is identifying those areas of Beacon that feel marginalized, that don't call the police. Um, and I know that in some areas, the police will only come if there's a call. The police don't do anything proactive, uh, et cetera. So that's one, number one. Number two is, is really like the high school and the youth. So I have a son at Beacon High School and he says, I know, you know these kids are selling drugs. This was going on. It's like, well, if you know that, why don't the police know that? 
Or if the police do know that, why aren't they doing anything about it? So, and, 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 and if this can be done in Latin America, where we had a program where the police would go to the high school or the prosecutors would go to the high school and talk about this is what criminal justice is, this is what policing is. And if we're gonna get a diverse police force, maybe getting kids in high school, African-American police, Latino, uh, um, I mean, youth, Latino youth, like maybe this, I could go into criminal justice. No, not necessarily policing, but getting involved as a career. Because that's where it starts. It's like these kids are, you know, 17 or 18, they're thinking about their career. So second is the youth. And, you know, I would also mention the Beacon Rec Center. It's terrible. I mean, it's been there forever. It's, you know, it's like something, someone described it out of like, it's a rural. And so that there should be a place for kids to go in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the youth of Beacon is crucial. The marginalized communities of Beacon are crucial. And I would say third, obviously the police. I mean, um, I think one of the problems, and I've worked with the New York city police is that they're the professionals. They have their training, they have their camaraderie, they have their sense of, uh, feeling like they're not appreciated. And I know uh, a lot of police, you know, after nine 11, um, I was part of a project to get minority, especially Muslim American youth engaged with the police or involved with the police. And it was a struggle because um, the police, you know, they see themselves as separate and that they're trained as this is the enemy. So after 9-11, it was Muslim Americans and terrorism, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's important that uh, the police, we, under, we recognize their professionalism. We, reckon, we respect their training. Um, and one thing I would say, um, one of the benefits of New York police reform, two things, one is that are relevant to Beacon, um, it, they had the thing called, what was called ComStat, which is essentially computer statistics, which is essentially what goes on every week, where are the problems, um, and what are we doing about it? So let's say you know, the police and the community say, there's uh, people selling drugs at uh, loopers, or um, something, in some sector there's tension. So what can we do about that? So identifying the places each week or each month, whatever it is in Beacon, where resources need to be brought or people feel marginalized or isolated, uh, or, you know, so many people talk about, and I see this too, and I think we all see that the police are always in their cars. That, and I think that drives a lot of people crazy. And they drive up and they're the tinted windows. And I would it's say beyond crazy, right? I think that was something, you know, thinking back to 2015 when we started this conversation around Beacon um, improving police community relations, it was about, you know, they never get out of their cars. I mean, I don't see them. I don't know them. I don't feel comfortable with them. I, you know, and it, it just caused this like inherent divide where folks just didn't feel comfortable. Right. I think we heard that loud and clear coming yeah. out of um, our initial discussions with the broader community. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm happy that you brought up about the school district and, and the youth and also what comes up in a lot of conversations with people that I sit with is, yeah, the rec center. That's not the same rec center when I was, yeah, when I was coming that's up. That's not what we had. Yeah. You know, we, we had, we had the BCC, we had the Martin Luther King center over there on South Avenue next, yep. next to the fire station. So, and, and this was at a time when beacon was, if, if you were out in the streets, you could get caught up, yep. you know, this isn't even the same, the, the same, um, social aspect of it and opportunities that it, that is there today, but there's zero for kids to do outside of if you're playing basketball and then, and you're, and you're down at loopers. So I, 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 and that topic comes up with a lot of people that I talk with of, yeah, wh what are we doing from them? We're seeing all this building in the city where we're, we're filming this tax base, but, but we're also not bringing back the things for the youth to, to allow them a place to go. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that's highly key The the school district that everyone's in the school. Yeah. When I, when, when, when I went, I went to the old high school before they built this new high school. Um, when I got out of high school, the police presence was there. You know, sometimes I got escorted off of school property yeah. Yeah. by police. You know, I see I seen my yes. friends going toe to toe having issues with cops just because of their presence because they, and they wanted us off of school property. Um, I, I think I think we have come a long way. I, I think it's always easier to part, point out the negatives of what's going on, but um, I, I think we need to capitalize on the opportunity of what what is here. So I appreciate some of the points that you are hitting on because it's like yeah, these are the conversations that each group is having, and I'm saying as a community leader, being able to be so diverse and even hear your side, hear their side, listen to their side, being mature now. I, 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 was, I was an immature guy when I was younger. I was hotheaded and I, I, I really wouldn't listen either. I, had a, I struggled with authority. That's why I try to work and put myself in a position where, oh, you know what? 
teach me to understand, let me get to the table and, and see the bigger picture. Yeah. And, the, and I don't even know if the police get that kind of training. Like, you know, kids 14, 18, they're going to be, you know, impetuous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kids do what kids do. Kids yeah. will be kids. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, and this is like, you know, because you know how I am. I like to start with like educating and, and making sure everybody's clear on definitions of terms. Um, would you say, and, and you know, I'll leave it blanket for you, like, but when we say what is community policing, one of the things that I'm hearing from this dialogue is that it starts with accountability and it's accountability across the board. So like when, when people say the words community policing, how should they really be thinking about it? Yeah, I think and um, sector policing is connected with this and I want to bring that in. Yeah, be, so but, we can divide the two so yeah. that it's very clear to folks like yeah. what is community policing and then separately what is sector policing, policing. and how does that fit in? Yeah. Well, they're separate and connected in the sense that community policing, if you're going to put the citizens at the center of the police, the police have to be restructured. And I want to bring in the whole, the huge box of disc, uh, in terms of defunding the police and all this, the things that are going on now in terms of how we reform. Um, so if you can have the police, the citizens at the center of policing, the police need to be structured. They need to be more accountable. They need to explain what they're doing. They need to be transparent. We need to know what their budget is. You know, I hear all these things going on about how much is going to overtime, Someone said that their biggest response is tickets and home alarms, which other agencies could be doing, but then you hear, well, no, that's a minority. So we need to get in the public realm, the facts, you know, in this, um, you know, what is, what are the police spending their time on? What could be replaced by other people? Um, and, um, so, and then sexual policing is part of that in the sense of if you're going to have the citizens at the center of policing, the police need to be out connecting with the citizens. And the best way to do that is getting the police again out of their cars and walking around. Um, and however that works in terms of when we had this discussion before, the police said, well, we only have five officers out on a time and three out on the street. And we can't afford to have them out of the car because there's only three of them. It's like, well, that's not actually, I don't believe that because they have their radio on their person and there's a lot of times in Beacon where there's not a lot going on. So during a weekday between, again, I just had, you know, top of my head, 10 to 12 in the morning, a police could probably walk around. Really. I mean, and let's look at the crime statistics. I think we saw this when we had meetings. Like, you know, there's parts, a lot that goes on in terms of the police need immediate attention. They can walk around. And, and so sexual policing has two things. One is getting them out of the cars to walk around. And second is perhaps dedicating them to specific neighborhoods. And again, part of great police reform in the United States has been, um, um, instead of the police very specialized, like the drug police or the whatever police, that police officers would understand the whole community. Um, and uh, many people might be aware of the Harlem uh, Children's Project in which they said, look, in New York City, what we're going to do is not talk about you know this problem or that problem, but what's the community? What are the conditions of the community? What are the housing conditions? What are the education conditions? What are conditions again? What do your kids do after school? And let the police understand that as a whole. And the only way they can do that is to get out of there to walk around or to be assigned to a certain neighborhood and say, okay, you have a limited neighborhood. We're going to limit your neighborhood so it's more manageable, but you have to know everything that goes on in that neighborhood. And so that's sexual policing and that's community policing. So um, to me, community policing is the larger paradigm. Sexual policing is what the police need to do to be part of that. Yes. So what I'm hearing you say is that community policing is really like the philosophy, the know-how, the mission that we're trying to accomplish. And then sectoral policing comes in because this is kind of like the how, right? How does that exactly. manifest when it comes to police? Um, and knowing that that's one piece of the broader puzzle, the wider um, view of overall community policing, right? Yeah. So um, I'm glad you cleared that up for sure. Um, for someone who may be like new to this concept and just, you know, um, first time they're hearing these terms or, you know, what does this look like? And they really want to see like the actual like evidence or anything like that. Is there any places or resources that you point them to, to say, Hey, look at this. This is a really good resource for you. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I, I could even provide a list of, um, hundreds of programs around the country. Yeah. There's no like clearinghouse 
Um, but I could bring those together into. I a think that'll be really yeah. good because we can put that in the show notes and, and yep. get that yeah. out. That'll be good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just again, because I know it's going to be a lot of ideation, right? There's that space where it's like, what are the things that we want to do, right? Like we want, like the rec center. I have to say. I've been, you know, in the city my entire life. Yeah. I think even when we were at the BCC, we were saying, we yeah. need something better than this. That is very true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah so I mean, instead of, as much as I love the BCC. Yeah. yeah so yeah. instead of improving the, 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 the youth centers, we kind of did the opposite. For all the growth in Beacon, you look at that poor yeah. rec center and you say, that's the rec center? And, Embarrassing. Yeah. I, I just want to shoot the BCC some bail before we go on because <laughs> to me, that place was magic. It really was like coming up here, originally moving from Brooklyn to Beacon. That place was one of the first places where I met a lot of good friends and a lot of good people and really felt a part of the community. Um, but yeah, outside of that, there was always that question of, is there more? Yeah. What else can we have or what else can we do? So I just want to shoot the BCC some bail. That's all. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean they, they kept us off the streets. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Friday, they helped Friday me with my homework. Pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so. I, to get you know, a good example of this is like... Um, there's a lot of discussion about the overtime that the police get. Yep. So it sounds like a half a million dollars. It's like, first of all, what are they doing on, why are they getting so much police? Is it excessive? And do we really need them? So I know a lot of demonstrations in Beacon or even parades, there's a lot of police. Like, do we need, there's not a lot of trouble at those places. Why do we, need, do the police really need to be there? Could it be other people? So really think about that. And then, can we you literally take some of that money and saying, we're going to limit you to $300,000 or cut whatever. And that extra $200,000 would build something really nice, help build something really nice at the Beacon Rec Center. You know, we do the building or expand the building or something. So, you know, really, and I think, um, and Brooke and I have talked about this, like start, just start somewhere. And yes. it's going to be messy and there's going to be debate, but people want to see progress. People want to see us breaking out of paralysis and coming to a, a common table. I think everyone in Beacon agrees. Like, I mean, I didn't grow up here and you said, you know, that place has been there and everyone agrees it should be better. Everyone agrees kids should have somewhere to go after school. I think even the, I'm sure the police would agree with that. Yeah. Um, or the majority of them would agree with that. Um, yeah, and, and, and to dovetail off that, there's uh, there's a number of issues that I think the police um, and other um, groups would also agree upon, right? Like, do the police need to respond to every call that comes their way? I think we all know that there's probably instances where someone else could have been better suited to respond to that. That's just the way that our community is set up today, but it's really the onus again, comes back to us in terms of taking that accountability to say, no, we want to take that step back yeah. and say, you know, what is the best for the police? Right. And it's not necessarily saying defund or, or grow resources. I mean, we might get to the other side of this, quite frankly, because I think the answer is that we don't know. We might get to the other side of this and say, no, actually they should increase their funding so that they can go against X, Y, or Z, work against these other issues that may require more funding. We don't really know that answer right now, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not other things that we can be reallocating our resources to. I think with the budget, you hear folks throw out the size of the budget or this police officer makes this. Um, I think that's one of those things where I take a step back and say, oh, so he made over $200,000. Is that a lot? Is it not? Was it warranted or not? Like, I, you know, me as a researcher, right? Those that know me know that my background is in, in research. Um, I always ask, like, you know, it's always E, need more information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I think for me, because I, I have some management experience within the city. Um, I have some experience of looking over city budgets. So just to arbitrarily say, oh, their police budget is at this dollar amount. Yeah. Well, I need more information because I know the dollar amount used to be bigger. And I've seen, I've seen mayors cut that already without this movement because of their feeling of, yeah, no, that's too much money. It's not needed in that budget. So, so, so I've seen people make tough decisions. We're not, we're, unfortunately, we're not seeing it today. And it's almost sound like the conversation is starting to turn into, because I'm more of an accountability and responsibility guy. Great. It's almost coming into the management so it's not whether they have $500,000, $700,000, $200,000. It's the management who's authorizing it. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and now I want to hold, hold you accountable. My, my, my conversation, it's not with the police officer because I'm, I'm a worker too, you know? And I understand there's other variables that come in. If, 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 if I sign up for a job, I sign up for the job. If, if, if there's an overtime list, I signed up for overtime. 
So I think somebody's and the budget every year is done around the end of the year. The bud the budget is public, so so we can get that information. I'm saying we're in public service. The 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 freedom of information at law allows us some some of this information. So so yeah, that's that's like with the research end and with the over here with the accountability <laughs> end here. I, I think yeah, let's have those tough conversations because I've saw I've seen them before at the council. I I I've, I, I don't know what the city begin police budget is today. I know it was, it's not as much as it was in the past because I remember that there was an argument of how much it was and the city council, the mayor, when he put the budget together, whatever year, cut it without this defund movement. Without, obviously they saw something, there, there was leadership happening. When was that? Uh, it, it, it had to happen within the last, because I was in uh, union leadership from 2009 to 20, uh, 2017. And it happened during that time frame because the police were upset. But I'm a, I'm, I'm a public worker on the, I work in the highway department. So and and, and I, I was the CSCA union president then. So when when, when the things were happening, I'll I'll just keep my ear. Up. So 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 I've seen people make tough decisions. I'm I'm just not seeing it today. And and I, I think by throwing out those blanket statements with, without educating people of what it means, yeah, it becomes a dangerous situation. Yeah. It's kind of disturbing, and it can put our entire community. On, on, on high alert and it's a threat to everybody but that's why that's why I'm, I'm glad that we're having these conversations and you talked about the protest today the protest today I think was was I think it needed to happen um, I, I'm, I'm happy with the way it went out it was peaceful people got rowdy that's gonna happen but at, but at the end of the day it, it came it happened and people were able to walk away yeah, and so for for listeners, um, so today uh, we're recording this on uh, July nineteenth. So you want to give a little bit of backstory of what happened today? What was that particular protest? Sure, but uh, did you want to interject first? Oh uh, no, go ahead, and I'll come back to Gilmer. Uh, today there was a protest scheduled for some in support of the police. For the past seven weeks, there's been protests uh, every weekend in Beacon on the Black Lives Matter movement and um, things that are going on within the nation and this country. And we have seen young, um, talented kids who I look at as adults. And I'm saying, you guys brought in a good momentum into the city and I'm going to treat you like adults because that's what you guys are and that's what you have, have demonstrated. Today was uh, support and police. Nationwide, there's a lot of dividing. People are looking at things as uh, us versus them. So um, I, I I participated today. I stood on uh, the, the side of what would you call Black Lives Matter. But as I'm staring across the street, I'm staring at people that I see at Parade of Green. I'm staring at people that I see at Spirit of Beacon Day. I'm staring at people that I stand next to at the soccer field. Beacon is a community. I've been trying to step away from leadership position because of my own personal issues. But no one's taking leadership serious in the city I'm seeing. And today had to happen. And I felt I was obligated to make sure that I was seen. And we're at a, we have a, we're, we are at a pivotal movement right now. And I look at it as this could be war or it could be peace. And I'm saying I'm here for peace. I may move militant like Malcolm X. But I'm going to stand here peaceful like Martin. And I'm asking for our seat at the table so that we can move forward because I think we can do it in Beacon. Yeah. And today, I think it demonstrated that um, with the support because social media, word gets out there. There's people from other communities supporting us. There was a rally uh, yesterday yeah. in Pleasantville. Pleasant Valley. Valley. Yeah. Excuse me. That. Right up the road. That, 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 that it wasn't what happened in Beacon today. No, it was disgusting. It, 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 it was ugly. I don't know how things like that can happen and can you move forward? Because once you, once you get too far off of why we're here, community-based, it's hard to come back from. And I think in Beacon, I do think Beacon is a unique place. So I was there standing, standing on the side. If we're going to go to war, understand I'm on this side, but we're here for, for the betterment of the city betterment of Beacon. And if we could be the template of what communities need or how we can move forward, let it be. But I'm not here for any personal objection. As I'm standing across the street, some of these guys seen me grow up. Yeah. They went to yeah. school with my parents. 
it's not, it's not a big place. Yeah, that's exactly. the, that's yeah. at the end of the day, like, you know, they everybody say everybody knows yeah, everybody. It, everybody knows everybody, you know? Um, and I think that's the power, right? Because I think two things to that I'd say about today that I was most proud of. Um, I think the first thing is it's, it's it definitely dovetailing to your point, right? It is a small place and we do actually know each other and we may be in mass, but when you look at one another, like we know who you are, we actually know our neighbors, we actually know folks, right? And when we, you know, strip away everything at the end of the day, we know, you know, they know you, Ruben, who you were as a kid, you know, like they know, you know, your grandfather and all those kind. they have those stories, right? So I think there's definitely this connection that we have in Beacon that's unique to Beacon, you know, um, maybe being biased, but I think that's unique to this community. Um, the other thing too, is that, you know, what happened in Pleasant Valley didn't go down in Beacon. And I think it's because on both sides, no matter who you're standing Mm -hmm. for, it's, you know, I'm here in support of the Beacon police because I want them to know that I'm supporting them, or I'm here in support of the marginalized communities because I want them to know that I see them too. I think no matter which side you're standing on, the one thing I definitely felt was the, you know, the linchpin in, in it all was the fact that we're all standing there saying, whatever's going on right now is not okay. We all want to see a better tomorrow for Beacon. We all want that, that better, whatever better is. Yes, we still have a lot of work to do and we can talk through what we think that process looks like in a bit, but we all have this opportunity right now to look up and say, we're all here for Beacon. And, you know, as diverse as we've always been, we've not always seen eye to eye. We, you know, that is our power. Our power is the fact that we do believe all voices should be heard. We are a diverse community. And back to your point earlier, community policing is only successful when you have that commitment from the community. I don't, you know, I don't know about Newberry. I don't know about Poughkeepsie. I don't know about, but I know Beacon folks stand up. Beacon folks show up, Beacon folks pour back into this community. Most of the things that people think about of Beacon, you know, the strawberry festival, the 4th of July celebration, that is done by volunteers. I mean, Mark, look at your background. Impressive. People might say, oh my God, what'd you do? Pay this guy to come in here? No, you just happen to be a concerned citizen that also has a level of expertise that we would be shameful, shame on us if we don't leverage that to bring us to a better tomorrow. And I, yeah, going back to your points, I was there today also. And I mean, there's so, there's so much anger. And I think we were talking about this earlier. We're all part of a national moment. Uh, and we're all feeling on every side, very passionate about these, what's going on politically. But going, I think, exactly right is getting out of that in two ways is like focusing on Beacon, um, and focusing on getting out of our political moment in of um, what happens around the world and around the country is people or groups may not have an interest in compromise. It's easier. I have my stand. For like, for example. Say that one more time, because I think that's very <laughs> yeah, true yeah. right now. I really want that to ring home. Yeah. Like, um, I think defund the police has a good some good points. I don't like the term. Because, and I, I'm afraid that, you know, at the, one of the uh, calls a couple of weeks ago where people called into the city council, which I think was a great idea, but um, 50% cut, it was sort of a mantra. And I don't want that to become like, we're going to stick, dig in our heels. It's 50% or, yeah. you know, my way or the highway kind of thing. And so I think we all have to, um, and a lot of people are talking about this. We have to get out of our comfort zone in the sense that it's not about me or my group. It's about Beacon. And I may not get what I want. I probably not, I'm not going to get what I want, but I'm going to get something. I'm going to see movement and I'm going to be part of something. I'm going to start something and it might be messy, but if we start it right, like I talked about before, laying the groundwork, everyone gets involved. We talk to people before, you know, we get everything um, set up so that stakeholders feel comfortable. Stakeholders will get involved. They'll feel a part of it constantly evaluating it, measuring it, you know, talking about research and, you know, accountability. It's like, what, what exactly is it doing? Because unless you measure it, things sort of fall apart. Like, well, we don't really, the, you know, we're talking about we want youth to have more better relations with the police. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, how do we do that? What how do we do like? that? Yeah. Let's think about measurements. Think about, and, you know, um, Getting kid, you know, having a criminal justice program at the high school. I mean, this is another bureaucratic. We had this problem before. It's like I think we proposed let's have a program at the high school after school. Yes. But the public school system, like, well, 
we don't, we control after school hours in the building. It's like, well, then you do it. You have the program. No, we don't want to because teachers are tired. Well, of course they're tired. So it's like, so it got Everybody's stuck. Tired. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. tired. <laughs> <laughs> We're all tired. Yeah. That's like, that's the one thing we have in common, right? So it's like, let's get past, you know, there's our bureaucratic limits. Let's get past what each of us is, um, our own interests. Like I might, you know, I have an interest. I don't like the police or I don't, I don't like the Black Lives Matter. Whatever it is that people feel personally, get out of that for Beacon. Yeah. And I think they can. And let's start, Agreed. let's just start something. I mean, literally, I could see a vision, and, and I think we both, all of us can here, what a sexual policing plan can look like. Let's just start again. Yeah, take one pilot, police, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pilot. So even if we did the pilot, so sector policing, like when, when, in your expertise and what you've been doing, do you work with just structuring or seeing how things are working? Do you work with like individual departments and their leadership and their, cause is this something that the police department can take on? Is this something that, that, cause right now they don't have a chief. So they're looking for a chief and they, 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 they pay, they're paying this company to go out and try and find it. So when they're interviewing, is this something that, that if the city's pushing for, is this, is this something that, is leadership down or is it a culture for the whole department? You got to get the officers on board. Like how, how can that happen? Cause part of the conversation is we want to make sure the officers are at the table. Um, yeah. in your experience, is there an objection on their side or a management side or, or managing and, and, and instituting this? Um, I think a big problem is the police union in the sense of being very, um, and understandably, uh, um, careful about their own progress, their salaries, their uh, civil service status, all the things that, you know, that they need as professionals. And a lot of union, a lot of groups, like they don't want to um, have that questioned in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so I think a big problem is when you have a reformist police chief come in, the unions or the rank and file don't trust them. Or if you have a, a police chief who comes from that union, they're not, they kind of stonewall on reform. So it's a big problem. It's like, how do you have a police chief as a sort of thread a needle of uh, bringing the police in with them, getting the trust of the police, um, but also doing something meaningful. And I, I think that's tough. So I think going to your question, it's a, a, a valuable moment. I think we all recognize that of hiring a new police chief. And I think it has to be someone who understands that um, and I don't know how that's going to be done if it's someone from the outside. Yeah. It's going to be tough. Yeah, what a big so battle. you would say your recommendation is that they definitely lean internal in terms of when we think about um, the new police chief, for yeah. sure. Or, or rethinking. The community. Hmm? Somebody familiar with the community. Yeah. Or, or rethinking, if we can't get someone from the community, rethinking what the chief does. So maybe a more limited chief and having someone from the rank and file um, they need to cooperate in certain ways, like um, come up with plans together. So it can be done. I mean, well, we're also in a unique moment where we don't have just a chief vacant. The captain also exactly. also retired. So even if you brought in a chief who understands what, and then um, had somebody from internally came into the captain's position and then yeah, they're the more the facilitator or the in-between. Um because the, the, the other issue that, that comes up with this is also, I'm saying, the economics, the living in the city. Do, do you think the culture of sector policing, the culture of community policing, do you think that can happen from officers? And I even think workers, too, because I'm a public uh, worker myself. Can that culture exist with people who don't even live in the community? Yeah, and that's a huge thing all over the United States of in urban areas, most police are from outside the areas. So we see that in Minneapolis or places, liberal, diverse places, um, and most offices are white and come from the suburbs. Or And so that's a, a huge problem. So it's like, and we, we had talked about this before, like, uh, and that's why I think the high school is doubly important. It's like, um, you know, obviously you can't force people to apply to the police and you don't want it. You know, um, I, I would see, you know, um, African-American, Latino youth, I would probably don't want to be part of the place. You know, why, you know, in this moment. But let's start with like at least maybe starting something where they're, they would apply or they would be eligible. So that's open. So those career paths get open. So the place does become more diverse. You have to start. And that's a, that's a multi-year process. Um, and um, so I think... Uh, sitting down and really read. And I think that might be one of the first points of our 
program is rethinking the top ranks of the police and who, what the police chief is going to do, how they're going to uh, work with the union. Um, and I would like the union to, I mean, I, the letter that they wrote to the last Sunday was mm -hmm. very discouraging in the sense of, again, it's sort of like, here's my position and I'm not proposing anything to move forward. I think we all do that. I think it's a, a natural part of uh, political action is I, on my position, I'm going to push for my position. And I think, again, we have to get out of that. Like I have my position, but I'd rather have something rather than nothing. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, going in there, there's, there's other variables. Negotiation one-on-one. But, but I have talked with officers um, when, 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 when I see them, um, cause I was seeing what was going on in the city. I was seeing with the protests, how, how it was starting to spiral into other things. Um, so I, I have talked with officers and they have showed interest and said that, no, they're willing to come to a table. They're, they're willing to speak. And I specifically, um, asked for a union, uh, leadership because that, that's basically my background. And there was a time period where, um, I represented a union that was disrespected to a hundred degree when I started working for the city, I was embarrassed uh, of, of, of how we, we weren't even a thought in conversation. And that's what I fought to make sure that my union was relevant in, to the conversation. So when I see everything going on, when I hear Beacon Speaks Out, um, who is now Beacon Now, when, when, when I hear them talking about re, re, regaining the momentum of what's today, I'm saying, this. oh, this is great. And when I do reach out to police, I'm not reaching out to just the police officers. I'm, I'm reaching out to, to the union leadership because that's the respect that I wanted when I was in the union leadership. Because, yeah, we, we, we represent our members, number one. So we represent the, uh, the, worker, the workforce. And, yeah, our contracts are foilable, too. So if you want to know them, know them. But at the end of the day, we, we do know them. I know. I know my contract, you know. So, um, so with all those variables, I think those definitely get lost in translation on the outside of, well, just do this or just, uh, this is public, this is public work. Yeah. This, we are public servants. Nothing just happens overnight, you yeah. know? So, and it doesn't happen in isolation, right? Like you need, you know, what I'm hearing from you, Mark, is that you, you need them at the table. Their, their voices are very much necessary. And, and, you know, even through the line, through implementation, right? Because even thinking as, you know, I, I'm not a union employee, but as a union member, I can imagine a police officer rank and file. If your union doesn't support something, you know, it puts you in an awkward position, whether or not you want to actually implement something. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert on unions by any stretch, but I'm part of one in the City University of New York. And it's like they're, uh, we're all, they're, every public servant is beleaguered now in terms of what's going to happen with our economy, the tax base, you know, um, professional stability, retirement, all that kind of stuff. We're all want to know what, what's going to happen. And unions are our protectors in the sense of defending our rights. And so... Uh, the police are, are similar. And I think I would love to sit down like with police officers, your background, I think a lot of them come from, we're in the military. A lot of them have tr traumatic experiences or unique experiences that are different. And, and how do they perceive Beacon? You know, how do they perceive, you know, the, uh, like the Juneteenth, um, you know, um, event that we had in Beacon? What was their, what did they, how did they perceive that? Or what did they think about it? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, Again, I think what you're, you're exactly right. It's like, um, even if they live outside of Beacon, they're part of Beacon. And I think everyone, and I think we have to come with the assumption, which I think is really important, which you stated, is that we're all committed to the city. And, and even them, if we totally vehemently disagree with them um, and not let, and thankfully nothing happened today that was violent. And thankfully no one's been shot and killed by the police. You know, there's no... Um, crisis that becomes the issue and it's hard to get past that because it's immediate justice needs to happen on, on someone being killed or something like that. So let's take advantage of that. And I think that reflects well on Beacon. Yeah. And I think your point is really important is understanding how much progress and just want to mention briefly is that Beacon was part of a Department of Justice um, reforming project and under the old mayor, a lot of those guys who were, there a lot of corruption and a lot of them were retired out or you know, pushed out. And so they made a huge, they have made a huge amount of progress. And I think we can, we need to build on that and not forget our own history in terms of uh, what it used to be like, mm -hmm. how much progress we've made. 
um, and not let this moment slip by to not make more progress now. Really, like, you know, strike while the iron is hot. Yeah, and, and that, that just reminds me of the saying that uh, people say, but I think there's uh, two ways that it's said. And um, when I hear people say it, I, I, I listen to the words closely because they always say, if we don't learn our history, we're bound to repeat ourselves. Yeah. And when, when I hear that, I'm saying, who are we? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. the way I interpret it is he who does not l- learn history is bound to repeat himself. So um, there's a lot of history that I need Today, when I'm sitting on the other side, I'm looking at people that I'm saying, you guys were in the race riots of the 1970s. Yeah, many of them I only know about it. Which guys? Across, that I'm looking at across the, of today's protests. I'm saying like, you guys grew up with my parents who told me about what happened right there at Grand Union parking lot. Is that what we're trying to repeat? Right. Because I'm saying I learned that history. I'm not. That's why the way the protests happened today, that's why it happened. Like, if I didn't know that history, we could have had a different outcome. We, and we'd be repeating ourselves. Yeah. But we're not repeating ourselves in, in, in vegan. History of the police department. I, I've, I have friends who, who've been beaten by police. Black and white. And I know a lot of it, when I, when I used to talk to them, it happened in the elevator. There's a camera in the elevator now. All of our officers have body cameras. I know there was a big objection to body cameras. So, th- so th- there is progress that was made. Which was a small effort from Beacon Speaks Out, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Important is good to... Yeah. yeah. But that's why I'm saying I think I'm glad that we're here because I, I think uh, from 2015, the, the, the foundation's there, the initiatives are there, and now we can move forward and build from there because there's still work that needs to be done. Yeah. And I think everyone agrees to that. But it just may not be at the level of the nation's issues. Like, we don't have to address black people being shot and killed, thankfully. But if that's something that I support on a national, on a national level, I will support it. And I do support it because people are losing their life. That's why I'm standing on the side of black. That's what black lives matters to me. When, when, when I'm saying, and I'm saying we need to understand that. That is wrong. When we dial back down to Beacon locally, that's not happening here. But we do have issues. Yeah. I'm not seeing police officers treat everyone the same way. Let, 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 let's increase our community police and let's see, look into sector police. Let's come to the table and let's bring each party to the table. And I think that's where we're at. And um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm looking broke forward to a, a brighter future. Applying proper pressure or pr- applying appropriate pressure to the right situation. Yeah. yeah. Not everything fits the same. You know what I mean? Not every community is the same community. Yes. So right. not every need or concern is going to be the same way. So I, I think you hit it right on the head, man, right on the head. And just right and along those lines, mentioned a couple of things. One is I, I was talking to someone, there's a, um, in the public housing on South Avenue. And they said, basically when there's a, someone calls, the police will swarm in mm. and it's intimidating. And it's like, I want to know what the police do they, and what is their approach? Yeah. It's like, so do the police have a thing where we're going to stay out of an area, but we're going to go in in full force which is uh, asking for trouble in the sense of tensions and mistrust can happen easily in a situation like that. So one is, I want to know what, what is the police's philosophy? What do they, how do they see Beacon? How do they patrol Beacon? Yeah. And so maybe if we say we want sectoral policing, maybe I'm not seeing something like they can't, why they can't do it beside personnel. Yeah. Maybe there's another reason. So yeah. I, you know, full exposure. And then I want to just say one thing about, which is, um, you know, the, um, effort now to train people, social workers or other things. I think we have to be really careful. But uh, I'm going to say as a social worker, I don't think that's a good idea. Oh, no. Tell, I, I think talk it, more it, about it's, this. It's yeah. Because, okay, from a social worker's perspective, we're coming in with a completely different mindset. Granted, like we're coming in from, a, okay, what trauma did you experience? That's not always appropriate to go into a situation under. You could put that social worker in a lot of danger. Now, if you're going to start putting weapons in the social worker's hand, I wouldn't want to have a gun at my job. That completely changes my mindset of what I'm doing, how I'm interacting with my clients. Um, I think that's a very just kind of let's just throw something out on the wall and just because it sounds nice. Um, I think that there needs to be more education in in police academies on maybe some mental health thing. Like there needs to be more you know, understanding from the police officers and knowing that when you're going into a situation, it's not always appropriate to go for your gun. You know what I mean? 
Like, and I know in Putnam County for a while, and it's sad, but I do know that there was an actual effort where they were like training the the Putnam County Sheriff's Departments on how to de-escalate situations, um, because a lot of times, um, and I've and I've heard it said where if you you know, and this is really talking with for young people, where okay, you have a kid who might be you know acting out at home, and it's like, well, if they start getting aggressive, call the cops. Now, what does that look like for a cop to show up? On a white kid, a black kid, whoever. Now that cop is coming to address that kid, probably not doing it in an appropriate way. Now that kid has an idea about what the police are. And now they grow up with that kind of mentality and it kind of mm. creates this like vicious cycle. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't fix anything yeah. because those behaviors are going to continue too. You know what I mean? So it's just, I just think that's a very like, I would really reconsider that sort of approach I, to policing. I'm glad you said that and brought that up because it's, and then coming as a social worker, as a professional, that's really crucial, yeah. bringing that voice to the table. And and I would say, you know, I want to just bring us back briefly to New York City police reform started in the subways. And one of the I mean, there many problems with police reform, how it turned out in New York City. But one of the things that they did was um, the police would go in with someone who understood homelessness, understood drug addiction, understood mental illness. They wouldn't replace the police. They just walk with the police. Mm-hmm. And one of the big problems, and everyone knows, you probably know this from under public administration, um, hauling someone in, holding them in a cell overnight so they sober up, they're just back on the street. Yep. And so you're, you're wasting time, you know, um, money, and more importantly, you're not helping the person. Mm-hmm. And so that evolved eventually into um, these, they would go to, they knew it better, like you, knew better than the police because they had the training how to talk to someone who's having a mental health crisis or, or on, um, as a drug addiction. Um, and what services can we take you to yes. and improving those services so that they get the help that they need. And so they don't, no one wants people living on the street, especially them. Uh, and please don't, we shouldn't expect them to fully deal with that. So that was a good, it started out pretty well in terms of social workers are not replacing the police. They did not go with the guns. Um, and it, it, it made a big difference yeah. in terms of the people's lives who were homeless in New York City. Yeah, um, yeah and hearing Brandon speak f- and for him to be a social worker, yeah, and I haven't heard that perspective. I have heard a lot of uh, social workers being now uh, or having a social worker on a shift. So if you get that call, then maybe they'll be there for the assistance end of it, um, which I sounded to me like, oh, kind of makes sense. If you know your community, you know you can talk to them, but not putting them in a yeah. threatening situation. I mean, but definitely like, doesn't say, it doesn't sound like replacing the police. Very much so need you there. Resource or support. And I think for those situations, and I know Dutchess County is is building theirs up, and I know other counties are, but this is where like those mobile crisis units come yes. into care. Yes. Those are what should be responding to these situations because yeah. they are equipped and they have the resources to really address. And then- when they show up, they can make a determination. Okay, this is maybe beyond what we can do, and maybe we do need to call law enforcement. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, I believe both of you are touching on things that, once again, um, and I don't want to turn the conversation down this road, but I just want to interject because you guys both touched on it. My time in the union from 2009 to 2016, there was a lot of cutting funding to mental health. A lot of CSEA jobs were lost in New York City because of the cut into funding to mental health. And we were putting these people in the streets. And when they're acting out, now we're putting them in the prisons. Yep. But that's not where they belong. Right. So the, 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 this system, system and the systemic racism, it's, it's bigger than... So it's, we need to have this coming. I'm, I'm glad you guys brought it up because we did an event last year for mental health. Dutchess County is rich on resources and poor on education of what mm. those resources are. That was our whole reason of partnering with the partners that we had for that event. Because yes, we, we think that there are people out there who need help yeah. and funding to mental health was cut years ago that, 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 that people aren't looking, but it's like, we're facing the effects of it now. And things are not, not only facing those effects, but things are compounding on top yep. of it. Yeah. yeah. And just, you know, not to keep getting down this rabbit hole, but you know, that's when I think about like why community policing makes sense to me now, because it's about being more broad in our thinking. Right. So like the, the, the thought that came up for me in that was, yes, there are so many programs, resources, groups, organizations from a mental health perspective 
I'm not sure if Beacon is capitalizing on all that which is actually available to us today. And do we have the right, um, you know, connectivity with them so that we are leveraging them appropriately, right? I think the biggest thing we learned there was that, no, we have that available. It's just, you just call this number or you do this or, you know, and, and I would love the, the space where, you know, taking this as the example, right? You know, insert any issue into this, right? That as a community, we come together to say, okay, these are all the issues, right? Let's dovetail and take a step back to say, what are all the resources available to address them and then take it from there versus, you know, pointing and, and, you know, you know how I feel about jumping to quick solutions for complex problems, right? So really giving our, 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 ourselves the space to really take that step back. Um, Because we had in, um, when Beacon Speaks Out, uh, one of our members, she moved away, talked to work with mental hygiene. Yes. And they were going to come down to do training. Yes. Like, I want to know what happened with that. Mm-hmm. Did the police continue it? I don't think so. Right. Um, I think it was the one and done kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So like, so back to that, this is a long term gain yeah. and it requires that, that consistent commitment, but also that measurement, yeah. right? So that we can continue to come back and say, well, what actually happened with that? Yeah. Did it actually work? Do we need to recycle or readjust? Um, I, and that's, I mean, again, going to the back to the evaluation, it's like the police don't like community policing generally. And so when you start or you foist it on them or you start it, they're like, we'll have the women officers, we'll have the uh, officers of color do it. We'll marginalize them. You guys be the community policing officers. Wow. And so we'll like, so there's a way to, you know, and again, like maybe the mental health, like unless they, in, it's going to fail unless they have some commitment to it. Yeah. Or we have some kind of a constant pressure, like, okay, maybe you don't want it, but we're going to do it. And maybe you'll understand that it's beneficial. And again, I think if we can talk to Beacon Place, like it's not um, some scheme that we're developing as citizens. Police all over the country have done this. And again, if you like hundreds of programs with the police and it was like amazing results. And again, going back to your positive, I think it's important to keep it. Um, and then and again, connected to that, like what, what is Dutchess County government doing in terms of mental health is like, do they have no budget? I know they, they, you know, they're supporting a huge prison. Maybe that money shouldn't go in. So, so being politically, whatever active uh, level activism you're comfortable with talking with the Dutchess County government and why are there no resources? And I, I want to come back, bring it back to our early discussion. Um, in two, I think it was 2006, there was a thing where people were spray painting swastikas around Beacon. And the former government of Beacon was like, well, we don't really know what's going on. It's like, <laughs> it's like that's scary, first of all. And then once in, um, I, you all might be familiar with the broken windows idea, yep. which is that, you know, and again, New York City, so much gets caught up with racist policing like stop and frisk. So things that, and same with broken windows. So it, it becomes an excuse for, repre- you know, violent policing. But the idea is strong in the sense that once something starts, if someone's acting out and no one does anything about it, they get more bold. So I'm going to paint a swastika on a side street. No one does anything about it. So now I'm going to paint it on main street. It's going to keep it up in the ante. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like a child. If you don't reprimand the child, <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, a child will do what they can until yeah. they can't do it anymore. Yeah. Until they're reprimanded. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, and it was shot stunned by the police or no one seemed to really care. Yeah. They cared, but not enough to like, well, do who's something. doing that? Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. it's just a bunch of kids who are troublemakers. Maybe it's something more serious. And, um, cause there was a rumor going around that the, uh, clan was in beacon, Yes, but apparently that was a misunderstood. Someone's talking about planned parenthood. So, so that's the other things like what's real and what's not. In yeah. the age of social, social media. media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I, I speak on it all the time. And you got social media gangsters who, like, they'll, they'll talk some crazy stuff. But another reason why I'm proud of the way today went. I've seen things on social media from people that I've seen at the protest today talking crazy. But when it, when the times come face to face, man up. Yeah. Yeah. But I just want to say that. Yeah. I want to say that. I think this has been such a great discussion. I feel like it's definitely brought a lot of things to the surface. Um, You know, thank you so much for lending your expertise. Right. I mean, 
like we just no point better than in the world of social media where you hear a lot of blanket statements being thrown. It's just been nice to like sit and discuss with you, someone who's been living this space for 30 years. Right. Um, you know, I guess in terms of parting, you know, are there any immediate, um, next steps that you would implore on everyone just from where they are? You know, if you're listening to this and you're excited about what you're hearing, um, are there any things that you would implore upon them to do today? I would say, you know, contact your city council member. And I, I sense that there's a bit of a paralysis in the city government. And again, I mean, it's frustrating because you, all the th four of us here who are trying to keep up with it, if we don't, if I don't know, and we don't know what's going on all the time, most citizens in Beacon don't know. So they contact, you know, write to them. They want to hear from you. And I think, I mean, that's sort of a cliche is that elected officials, when they hear from people, they pay attention to it. And I think especially in Beacon. Um, and I think we need to have a forum. We talked about this earlier. We're all in a space that's socially distancing uh, of hashing all this stuff out um, and bringing in, in the voices. And, and so I would say to people, um, you know, Get involved with other, whatever community group you're involved with, whatever community group you want to be involved with. Um, and I'd say get, get out of your comfort zone a bit. Yeah. Do something that um, you haven't done before. You know, just one little thing. And I think that it, it, that will help all of us. Yeah. And I would say if you, you know, at minimum, the thing that I would dovetail on that is a shameless plug. If you want just your own voice heard, we do still have open um, a anonymous survey that you can give your um, your thoughts to. And that's at imbeacon.org slash beacon now. It's just a few prompts. You can fill out as much as you want um, just to have your experiences, your thoughts, your ideas to be collected. And that's something that, you know, we'll, you know, we've made public, we'll continue to make public just so that everyone has has um, absolute um, access to that and can see it. Well, all right. I Karen, think this, this was, was good. Uh, this was really good. <laughs> yeah. This is really good. This was informative. This was, I think this will definitely help um, take steps to, yeah. to move forward. Move the needle forward. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you for having Yeah. I would yeah like thank you. Like thank you for again, being like, a part of this. Thank you very much. Oh, sure. Um, so, Listen, I hope those of you who are listening, I hope you guys are able to take this information and digest it. Um, thank you for spending time with us. We enjoyed it as well. And uh, we'll see you next time on This is Beacon.